Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business with a deep-rooted heritage in oncology and a commitment to developing cancer medicines for patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Hoxter is joined by Dr. Lauren Baldessari for a conversation about cardio-oncology. Dr. Baldessari is an assistant professor of medicine and cardiology at Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology, associate director for clinical services at Yale Cancer Center, and an expert in gastrointestinal cancers. So, um, Dr. Baldessari, can, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into this kind of unusual niche of medicine where the intersection of cancer and the heart and I mean honestly as a medical oncologist I give people chemotherapy and I kind of think the heart's there just to pump chemo around <laughs> the body so uh, but it, it, you, you have a different perspective I take <laughs> <Yes>. it <laughs> I'm sure so uh, well I'm a cardiologist uh, by training um, and uh, during my training I focused um, a lot on advanced cardiac imaging um, and also had an interest and some experience in prevention and women's cardiovascular disease. And so I think that this field sort of naturally ended up putting all those things together for me um, because um, a lot of what this field focuses on, at least initially with the development of the field of cardio-oncology, was the concern for some of the cardiac side effects of some of the treatments um, that are given for breast cancer. And um, of course, now that field has expanded to involve patients with many other cancers and many other therapies that are given. Um, but initially for me, um, this was a way to kind of bring together my interests for um, prevention, because I really think that a lot of our focus in this field should be on prevention of these patients developing cardiac side effects, and we do that via monitoring of them and uh, medical therapy and sort of supporting them through uh, to get the best treatment for their cancer. And there's also a large role of advanced cardiac imaging with advanced echo, also cardiac MRI, cardiac CT, and some nuclear imaging as well. And so this sort of naturally became an interest for me as the field was becoming more popular towards uh, the end of my training. And I had some opportunity to do some additional training at um, a cancer center and with some advanced cardiac imaging in this field. Yes, so I was going to ask you what you meant by advanced cardiac imaging, but I think you kind of covered that a bit. So that's really using mostly cardiologists use EKGs and they listen to the heart and they get ultrasounds, mm -hmm. but you're talking about using tests beyond even an ultrasound using CAT scans and MRIs to look at heart function? Yes. Um, the sort of mainstay of the way that we evaluate at baseline and monitoring and after treatment with these patients is with ultrasound, with echocardiography. Um, but echocardiography has had a lot of advances over the last few years. We now have something called 3D echocardiography and also some additional techniques that we can use with ultrasound. For example, something called strain imaging 
something that starts to look a little bit closer at the cardiac function in a, in a bit more detail. And the goal of that is to ideally help us to identify when a, someone, a patient, is at risk for developing some cardiac dysfunction, but to detect these early signals before that dysfunction actually occurs so we can take that opportunity to um, try to prevent uh, that from happening. And that can be done with advanced echocardiography, as um, I just explained, but also cardiac MRI to look at function and also a little bit closer at the tissue of the heart muscle. Um, also with cardiac CT, if there's a question of needing to evaluate some of the coronary arteries, if there's a question of ischemic heart disease, and then um, nuclear imaging we use as well, most often for, for stress testing when indicated. Great. So maybe we'll come back to some of those things. Sure. Is, is cardio-oncology, is, is that a new field? Is it, you know, how many peop people focus on this? You don't find that in most community hospitals, for example. Correct. Um, so the field, or at least the interest in patients who were receiving potentially cardiotoxic therapy started back in sort of the late 70s, early 80s, and actually some of those initial studies were done here at Yale in the nuclear cardiology department where they first started to identify that there were significant risks, um, cardiac effects from very high doses. Um, many of these high doses we don't, we don't use routinely anymore. And that was sort of first identified, but uh, really over the last five or so years, I would say five to seven years, it's really come to light with more um, research that has been done and published that has shown us that there are our cardiac side effects with some of the breast cancer therapy, but also some of the other therapies that are being used. And it's become even more important than it was decades ago because the survival of these cancer patients, specifically breast cancer, but other uh, cancer patients as well, has significantly improved as the treatment for these cancers has improved, which is great. And so what we're seeing, though, is that um, the concern for cardiac side effects is not just an immediate concern, but the effects of these drugs can be seen years out. And actually, some, some data has shown that patients who've received some of these therapies, um, they're you know, living many, many years and being cured from their cancer, but years out, they're at increased risk for cardiovascular side effects compared to patients without that therapy. And so um, now we're wanting to focus more on their cardiovascular health because they're, they're living longer, and that's a good thing. Right. So I think going back, as you said, to the, some of the early studies, uh, Dr. Zaret and other of his collaborators here helped us describe some of the effects of a drug called doxorubicin or adriamycin. And you said high doses, but really in that case it was high cumulative doses, right? right? So people who got a lot of treatment for many months. And so people who were um, responding to the treatment and continued to get it, it was a problem if they started to affect their heart. Right. And um, so do, do we still have problems like that today? I mean, how, how, do, how do we usually handle that? Well, um, we're not seeing it in the, the same way it was administered previously, but we are still seeing 
um, effects in patients, and actually some of them even at, at lower doses and earlier on in their treatment. Um, so it, it is still a problem. Um, the exact number, I think, is, is difficult to pinpoint um, because when you look back at, at some of the major um, studies, the way that they reported cardiac side effects was different throughout them. Um, so um, the risk is, is real, but it's, it's low. Um, and I think the most important thing is to really help identify who are the patients at risk and get them the proper sort of risk assessment at the beginning, um, be able to have a sort of informed consent um, conversation with the patient, the oncologist, the cardiologist about what are the risks of the therapy and, and what are the risks of the, the breast cancer. And um, it's actually pretty rare that we would ever recommend somebody to not get the right therapy or the best therapy for their breast cancer. Um, we usually try to just support them as best that we can, and um, whether that be with medical therapy or a different type of monitoring or more frequent monitoring. Um, but every once in a while, patients who um, have severe cardiac problems going in or develop a severe problem with their therapy, we may need to um, stop for a minute and sort of reassess uh, moving forward. So before we get into some, maybe some of the drugs that cause some of the problems today, um, are there risk factors for this? Like what should patients know about their heart when they start any kind of cancer therapy today? Are the, who should be more concerned about their risk for cardiac problems versus everybody else? Sure. Um, so these patients, just like all patients, um, should know their cardiovascular risk profile, which would include knowing their family history, um, other um, you know diagnoses that they may have or need to be evaluated for, for example, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all of that screening um, should happen. Um, in general, you know, I think any any person who is going into therapy that may have any cardiotoxic side effects, regardless of their risk factors, should consider being evaluated um, by, if not a cardiologist, at least having the discussion with their oncologist. Um, but for sure, patients who already have a pre-existing cardiac condition, for example, coronary artery disease, history of uh, heart attack, myocardial infarction, valvular disease, they're at higher risk. And patients with you know one or more cardiovascular risk factor, like diabetes or hypertension, they're at a higher risk than patients without. And those patients really should have an evaluation, um, you know, if not a thorough evaluation with their oncologist, then perhaps also evaluation by a cardiologist. Okay. Uh, so... Anybody who has kind of known coronary artery disease, for example, so that would be the most common thing probably, right. even if they didn't have an MI, um, what kind of pre-treatment evaluation do you think somebody like that should be getting? Well, every patient is different um, depending upon clinically what's going on with that patient at this time and what is planned for them as far as um, chemotherapy, perhaps they need surgery. 
Um, sometimes it will be appropriate to do a assessment of the status of their coronary artery disease. Sometimes with functional stress testing, whether that be um, you know nuclear echo, MRI, or taking a look directly at the coronary arteries uh, via procedure, via a coronary CT angiogram. And it really, um, like I said, depends on the status of that patient. How are they doing? What symptoms are they having? And how high risk is the therapy you know, going in? OK. Um, and uh, so if you see one of these patients before they start chemotherapy, um, what, do you, what's, what is the role of the cardiologist then? And, and how do you interact with their oncologists? Sure. So we first do a full cardiovascular risk assessment, which, as we discussed, would include um, checking their blood pressure, heart rate, um, seeing if they have a lipids, uh, lipid profile, reviewing all their medications, seeing what type of recent testing they've had done. And um, for some patients, uh, it may be appropriate to start them on, on new medications, uh, medications for their blood pressure and or heart rate, and that can be cardioprotective, things like beta blockers or ACE inhibitors when appropriate. Um, okay, and, and do you have, do you usually do imaging tests before, I mean, EKG, We do, uh, we do an EKG. Um, we do echoes at baseline. Um, depending upon the echo, if it's um, completely normal, good quality echo, um, often that's enough at the baseline. If there's any abnormality on the echo, um, for example, any decrease in any of the, the cardiac function, then we usually go next to a cardiac MRI um, to fully assess the function again and to look a little bit closer at the heart muscle to see if there's any evidence of any prior you know, scar or something like that. Okay, well, thank you, Baldessari, uh, Dr. Baldessari. We're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about cardio-oncology with Dr. Lauren Baldessari. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to change the cancer paradigm through personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. The American Cancer Society estimates that more than 60,000 Americans will be diagnosed with head and neck cancer this year. Although the percentage of oral and head and neck cancer patients in the United States is only about 5% of all diagnosed cancers, there are challenging side effects associated with these types of cancer and their treatment. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center, to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers. In many cases, less radical surgeries are able to preserve nerves, arteries, and muscles in the neck, enabling patients to move, speak, breathe, and eat normally after surgery. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Lauren Baldessari, and we are discussing cardio-oncology. So, um, Dr. Baldessari, you were um, previously discussing uh, breast cancer and some of the drugs that caused cardiac problems. So 
I guess the original drug for this is doxorubicin or adriamycin. They still use that in breast cancer, especially for adjuvant therapy, right? Yes, correct. So what are the cardiac issues with that drug, and what do patients need to know about that? So the main concern as far as cardiac side effect from um, the anthracyclines is that there's the potential to cause uh, cardiomyopathy or decreased heart function. Um, and that is something that we monitor by getting a baseline ultrasound of the patient's heart, an echocardiogram, at the beginning of their therapy. And then we monitor with um, serial echocardiograms during their therapy and after. And that's to look at uh, the function of, of the heart. Um, if most patients do well, um, and there's, there's no problem with tolerating the therapy, but there is a small percentage of patients that can develop a, a cardiomyopathy or decrease in the, the function of their left ventricle, which is the main pumping chamber of the heart. And for those patients, um, depending upon how much the function has decreased, if it's mild, often we're able to get some cardioprotective medications on board and continue with the therapy. In um, less common circumstances, the cardiomyopathy or decreased function could be more significant. In those cases, uh, we often hold the therapy, at least temporarily, um, get these medications on board, then we, we re-image with an echo or potentially a cardiac MRI. And if there's recovery of some of the function, we're able to continue. Um, in rare cases, if the dysfunction is very severe, those would be cases where we actually may not be able to continue with the therapy. So every woman who's getting this kind of AC adjuvant therapy, even the four doses that are normally prescribed with AC, they should get a baseline echocardiogram. Yes, absolutely. Even if they have no cardiac history. Yes, even if they have no cardiac history. And a follow-up. Yes, and a follow-up. Um, after therapy is completed, um, but also they should be really serially followed after that. For our breast cancer patients that we see here, we monitor them closely during and after therapy and um, we will see them again about six months after, and then at the one-year mark, um, if there were no cardiac complications and there's no concerns, we ask them all to come back yearly for monitoring. Um, if there were any cardiac complications or concerns, then of course we would follow those patients, you know, more closely. Right, and and while I just want to emphasize, while most patients who get that drug for, you know, many many months, more than six months, will eventually get some cardiac effects with the doses that we prescribe today, the incidence is really low, like 1%? It um, it's hard, um, as I was describing earlier, to put an exact number on it because the way that the cardiac complications are reported in the different trials, there's some variation. Um, we give usually an estimate of less than 5%. Less than 5%. Is what I like to so say. So very low. Okay. So, yeah. And then um, radiation is used a lot in adjuvant therapy of breast cancer after the, when we say adjuvant therapy, we mean the other treatments we give after surgery. Right. So um, what about radiation for people who have left-sided breast cancer? Is that a problem for the heart? It, it can be. Um, 
And the concern here, um, there, there can be a concern for increasing the risk of cardiomyopathy, uh, the decreased function, which we just talked about. Um, the other two concerns with radiation, um, actually a few other concerns, uh, one is that there could be effect on the valves of the heart, and um, from radiation therapy, the valves can become a little bit thickened or fibrotic, and over time, that could potentially lead to some valvular disease, either with um, causing some stenosis or tightness of the valve, and also potentially causing some uh, regurgitation or leakiness of the valve. Um, there also could be effects of um, onto the lining of the heart, which is called the pericardium. And that lining, um, similar to the valves, has the potential to become sort of inflamed uh, with the therapy and then over time um, some, some scarring or fibrosis, which um, could, could be an issue. Um, the other concern is potential effects on the coronary arteries themselves, um, leading to some coronary artery disease. Okay, so those are potentials. I, I just want to emphasize that today, the way radiation is done for um, adjuvant therapy of breast cancer, they have so, so much better um, ways of delivering the radiation that most of the time they can come in at an angle that right. That includes very little of the heart, maybe just a corner of the heart at most. So it's not um, as much radiation to the heart itself as it as they used to give with um, breast radiation. Correct. And so those patients, even though it's important to know that there could be an increased risk and and um, to offer them some evaluation, there aren't as uh, as recommended guidelines for serial monitoring as much as there are with, with the other therapies that we talked about because okay. the risk is relatively low. And then um, about a third of women with breast cancer today, we um, find that they have an elevation in the um, protein uh, called HER2, and uh, there's an antibody for that, trastuzumab or Herceptin, that also has some uh, unexpectedly, unlike other antibodies, seems to affect the heart. So right. can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so the the concern for that is um, similar to the concern with the anthracyclines as far as wanting to um, monitor any effects on the function of the heart muscle, on the cardiac function. Um, a similar sort of risk profile, um, there... Um, Initially, was thought that this um, type of cardiotoxicity or potential um, decrease in the function of the heart with um, the Herceptin or Trastuzumab was more of a reversible um, type of, of effect and that with the anthracycline base, it was not reversible. There's actually um, some more data coming out that may be showing that that's not true, that we don't really... Um, know which one is and is not reversible. Um, but we do know that <clears throat> the combination of the two given together um, can increase the risk of, of developing a cardiac complication like a cardiomyopathy. Um, the combination of? Anthracyclines. So, and so if they get the doxorubicin and Herceptin, that's even more problematic potentially. Correct, yes. Um, but we're, there's so much that we're still learning about this and trying to figure out and, and discover. Um, 
And, you know, I can tell you that I have had many patients um, who have developed uh, decreased heart function, cardiomyopathy on one of the agents or uh, after receiving both. Um, and and many of them actually have recovered their function after therapy. Um, so I think we really, we don't know what's reversible and what's not reversible. Um, but what we do know is that we can monitor them more closely, get medications on board to hopefully protect their heart, and we're seeing um, you know, good outcomes with those patients who are being closely followed. It's a little unusual for our antibodies, like we have antibodies against EGFR, which is actually called HER1. It's a little bit in the same family, but that doesn't cause any problems with the heart. Do we know what it is about the Herceptin or trastuzumab that uh, specifically affects cardiac function or the cardiac muscles? So we don't know for sure. Um, there's different thoughts out there about what it may or may not be. Um, we, in general, at least when I explain it to, to patients, um, you know, I kind of think about it like it, the therapy that you're giving at the time um, is, is sort of affecting, one theory is that it's sort of affecting the, the heart cell's ability to accommodate stress. Um, and so it may be sort of a multiple hit type of um, scenario where it's sort of removing the cell's ability to accommodate stress and then you're adding an agent that, that, that is causing stress or, um, for example, high blood pressure um, could be that additional um, stressor that the cell is not able to accommodate for at the time. That's one of the reasons why we're actually very aggressive here about controlling blood pressure during the time of therapy. Often we think of hypertension, high blood pressure as a long-term problem in patients. And, and so sometimes, um, you know, they think, oh, it's not important right now to worry about my blood pressure. I'm going to focus on, you know, my breast cancer. And actually, we think it's incredibly important to control it at that time to really kind of decrease the amount of stress that the heart is seeing. But even if somebody gets the AC with the doxorubicin and they get the trastuzumab in the adjuvant setting, so this kind of post-operative um, preventative treatment, uh, the incidence of developing one of these cardiac complications is still pretty low. It is. It's, it's about, I would give you the same range, I would say less than 5%. And I just want to add for listeners out there that trastuzumab or, or those kind of anti-HER2 antibodies are also approved for stomach cancer, gastric cancer, and it's they're occasionally used for um, other tumors that overexpress HER2. So if you are getting trastuzumab for any cancer, not just breast cancer, I mean, this is a potential cardiac issue. And, and we're also now seeing some um, kind of biologic-type drugs, inhibitors of signal transduction that seem to be affecting the cardiac conduction pathway. Like I've had to kind of relearn all my stuff about EKGs and mm -hmm. measuring the QT interval and the QTC. Can you tell us anything about you know, what people need to be concerned about with some of those drugs and, and what the concern is? Sure. I mean, the concern is essentially what you just mentioned as far as causing some conduction 
abnormality or a prolongation of the the QT, which is one of the parameters that we look at on an EKG. Um, usually, this is able to be done routinely with the oncologist during their their treatment. They get EKGs, and if things are you know normal, then they're they're normal. Um, there's specific parameters that are clearly laid out for those physicians about when it's safe to continue or not continue. And then if there's ever a question um, about the EKG or just in general about about the patient, then they'll kind of call us or ask us to come and see the patient and evaluate. But usually those are pretty straightforward for, for monitoring. The EKG is, is pretty um, clear. Can, can For the patients who get these drugs, can you tell us what the kind of problems they might run into mm-hmm. and what the concerns are with the conduction? Sure. So the concern would be that if there was a prolongation of the QT that, that became too long, that that could be a setup to have a cardiac arrhythmia, which would be an abnormal heart rhythm. Um, and that would usually present itself with um, things like feeling uh, palpitations, like your heart is racing, um, feeling very lightheaded, like maybe you're going to pass out or even potentially passing out. Those would be the types of things um, to be concerned about if an arrhythmia was, was to occur. Dr. Lauren Baldessari is an assistant professor of medicine and cardiology at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.